0: Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast series, and my name is Carl Vredenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode 114, and today we'll be focusing on dealing with chronic health conditions. My guest for this episode is Paige Heron. Welcome, Paige.
1: Thanks, Carl. It's great to be here.
0: It's great to have you on. I've known Paige for most of her life, and we're good friends. I've tried to get her on this podcast for a long time to discuss any number of different topics, but we landed on a topic that has been and continues to be central to her life, chronic illness. And it's something that many people don't understand, especially what is essentially an invisible illness. I too knew very little about the experience of dealing with chronic illnesses initially, but accompanying Paige to various medical appointments, reading about her conditions, and most importantly, listening to her provided me a deep insight into her experiences and how best to support her. That's what we plan to provide for you during this episode. You know that we always like to start these podcast episodes with some insightful quotes So to get us started on that page, why don't you give us some quotes?
1: Sure. I've brought in three quotes for you today. The first being, no other disease in the history of modern medicine has been neglected in such a way as Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, Professor Rodney Graham. Every EDS patient knows that one of the hardest parts of our day is the moment we open our eyes and awaken into the reality of our bodies, stirred from dreams of ourselves as we used to be and the futures we imagined we'd have. Michael Behofsky. When you are frustrated with me because of the things I cannot do, just imagine how frustrated I am because I am not able to. Count my spoons.
0: I love those quotes. I think they're just so incredibly insightful in terms of what we're going to be talking about today. You know, we're going to be delving into Paige's early life, the physical changes that she experienced, her experiences with the medical profession, and we'll discuss what to do if you have similar experiences or if someone you love does. So let's get started, Paige, and get to know a little bit more about you. You're 31 years old, but tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like and what sorts of things you were into.
1: I was a very active child. I took part in a lot of activities and I played a lot of sports, both in school and outside of school. I really enjoyed playing lots of sports, but particularly hockey and soccer. I ended up playing competitive soccer as a goaltender, which involved a lot of training, a lot of practices and a lot of games. I also played several instruments, including piano, viola, guitar, and the upright bass. And I played and sang in lots of choirs and orchestras, again, both inside and outside of school. And I spent a lot of time practicing at home, playing in rehearsals, performing, and playing in music class at school. My involvement in music as well as sports, were all very physically demanding on my body and especially all of my joints.
0: Can you tell us too a little bit more about what you did in college and what sorts of jobs you had as well?
1: I moved away and went to college and I started off in a two-year radio broadcasting program, which I really enjoyed. I learned a lot from And I went on to co-host a Monday to Friday morning show the year after I graduated. And while I was co-hosting that show, I was also in my second program and it was a one-year music program, which I was a vocal major for. And after that, I went on to take the three-year music program that my school offered as well. And if you were counting, that was six years of college in three different programs. And my college experience was wonderful and challenging. As for jobs, I worked many different jobs over the years while I was in high school and while I was in college. I was a lifeguard and a swimming instructor, I worked at a few different camps, I worked at my college, I had some internships. And after I finished school, I went on to teach private piano and voice lessons to students of all ages, so really young to even some seniors. I really enjoyed a lot of my jobs over the years, especially teaching music, but almost all of the jobs I had required me to be on my feet a lot of the time, and each of them had their own amount of physically demanding aspects to them. Teaching for example, required me to play a lot of piano, both at work and at home. And in addition, I had to do a fair bit of driving back and forth to my job um, throughout the week. All of the jobs that I had were both rewarding and challenging in their own way.
0: So thus far, Paige, we're getting this picture of a girl and a young woman with great promise, accomplishments in several sports and creative pursuits, but everything wasn't rosy, was it? Tell us a little about when your chronic illnesses began.
1: No, it definitely wasn't always rosy. When I was nine years old, I contracted a virus. And following being sick with that virus, I began to experience pain in my heels they would become very painful from walking and running and even standing for long periods of time the pain started to move upwards into all of my joints so into my ankles and then my knees my hips and so on my joints became very inflamed my knees were noticeably swollen and at one point my hands were so swollen that i couldn't close them to make a fist My joints were very stiff and painful when I would wake up and it was really hard to get up, get ready for school and then go to school. I began to experience joint dislocations and partial dislocations. I became very prone to soft tissue injuries and other injuries to my joint and I was also dealing with a lot of chronic fatigue that got worse as time went on.
0: That must have been so incredibly hard to deal with. What help did you actually seek out?
1: It was challenging. I went to see my family doctor and he referred me to a rheumatologist. And the rheumatologist ruled out some illnesses like arthritis and other illnesses you could do a blood test for or a definitive test for. And then I was referred to Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto and I saw several specialists who again ruled out even more illnesses. I was extremely fortunate to have doctors who believed my pain was real and that there was something physically wrong with me. In hindsight, I think the fact that they could see the inflammation helped them to take my pain seriously. And sadly, that's not often the case when it comes to chronic pain. I was eventually diagnosed with fibromyalgia and Osgood-Slatter disease in my right knee. When the doctor gave me the fibromyalgia diagnosis, the doctor told me that they knew something was wrong, but they didn't really know what it was. And since they'd ruled out all of these different illnesses, that's why they landed on the fibromyalgia diagnosis. Fibromyalgia causes widespread pain and chronic fatigue, and it causes an increased sensitivity to pain due to an abnormal pain perception and processing. There is no known cure for fibromyalgia and treatment is focused on managing symptoms. Osgood-Sladder disease causes irritation just below the kneecap while children and adolescents are growing, and this leads to a very painful and sensitive bump just below the kneecap. The bump never goes away. The pain is supposed to go away when the patient is finished growing. The bump on my knee is far less sensitive and painful as it was when I was growing, but I still do experience a fair amount of pain there from time to time.
0: So how old were you when you were given those diagnoses and how did they make you feel?
1: I was 10 years old when I was diagnosed. So I was pretty young. I remember feeling angry and frustrated that I was dealing with so much pain and fatigue and the fibromyalgia diagnosis didn't feel like we, we had the full picture of what was actually going on with me health-wise. And I felt isolated from the other kids my age. They couldn't understand what I was going through. So it was a very challenging time for me.
0: So your peers at the time couldn't really understand what was going on with you and and your body and the like. What kind of reactions did they have to it, in fact? And could they even understand what you were going through?
1: The kids at school were pretty mean. They uh, made fun of me a lot. They, as I said before, they weren't able to understand what I was going through and they weren't able to understand why I was so sensitive to pain, why I missed school so often for doctor's appointments or because I was too sick to go to school. And they'd make fun of me when I got hurt easily. So an example is if I would get hurt because a ball hit me, you know, they were making fun of me. Oh, it barely hit you. They'd, you know, throw it at somebody else or themselves and go, oh, like it doesn't hurt, you know, that sort of thing. So as you know, kids can be fairly mean. And unfortunately that was my experience.
0: It's so unfortunate. So as your symptoms got worse, Paige, I know that they had a significant impact on your life and what you were able to do. Tell us a little bit about the ways that your chronic illness affected, in fact, still does affect your life.
1: Both the chronic pain and fatigue has had a huge impact on my life over the past two decades and is something that impacts me every single day. I've had to give up most of the activities I loved and all of the sports that I absolutely loved playing. Over the years, I've also had to give up playing most of the instruments that I played, and it's had a very significant impact on how physically active I was able to be growing up and now as an adult. The pain and exhaustion has gotten worse as I have gotten older and the speed at which the symptoms have worsened has increased the older I get. In college, I needed accessibility accommodations, particularly due to the chronic fatigue and daily activities such as driving and household chores have become more and more challenging and taken more and more of a toll on my body. In my mid-20s, I started to use a cane, and by my late 20s, I needed to use a walker. The assistive devices caused a lot of pain and injury to the joints in my arms, so wrists, elbows, and, and such. And I got to the point where I was no longer able to use my walker or my cane, but fortunately I was able to get a custom knee brace and that has truly been a lifesaver and it's allowed me to walk as normally as I can for me without assistive devices. My physical health challenges have also led to many career pivots and rethinking of what my body is capable of doing and what is sustainable long-term. And ultimately, it has led me to move back home.
0: So I know that having to give up all those activities that you so loved was really, really hard on you. As is often the case with chronic illnesses, it can sometimes take years to get the correct diagnosis. I know that you met someone who recognized your symptoms and recommended you to be further investigated for another condition. Can you tell us about that?
1: I met someone in about my mid-20s who has hypermobility Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or HEDS for short. And she recognized my symptoms along with how hypermobile my joints are and told me about EDS and the EDS clinic in Toronto and encouraged me to pursue a diagnosis. I read up on EDS and I felt like it really explained everything from my symptoms to a lot of the injuries I had, some of the bizarre injuries I sustained throughout my life. Pursuing a diagnosis turned out to be rather challenging. I was first referred to a rheumatologist who refused, just flat out refused to refer me to the EDS clinic. My family doctor at the time referred me to a pain clinic, which unfortunately ended up being a two-year wait list. When I was finally seen by the pain clinic, I was talking with the doctor and about 15 minutes, give or take into the conversation, he asked if I'd ever heard of EDS. And he told me that they wouldn't be able to do very much for me at the clinic, and that I really needed to be referred to the EDS clinic. So with the help of the pain clinic, my family doctor referred me to the EDS clinic which turned out to be another two year wait. But I was finally seen at the EDS clinic in July of 2022, and I was diagnosed with Generalized Hypermobility Spectrum Disorder, or HSD for short. HEDS and HSD are very similar issues. They are treated the same way and can have the same comorbid illnesses. The EDS clinic referred me to several different departments within the clinic and to a few other specialists outside of the clinic to investigate some of the other comorbidities that go along with HSD. HSD is a connective tissue disorder that causes joint hypermobility, instability, injury, and pain. It can also cause chronic fatigue, headaches, GI problems, and autonomic dysfunction to name a few. A few months following my diagnosis, I began attending virtual support groups put on by the EDS Society. I began learning more about HSD and found a community of people that are dealing with very similar health challenges and experiences. And for the first time in my life, I didn't feel so alone. I was connected with people who understood what I was going through and I could relate to.
0: So over the years, You've had to give up so many of the activities and the sports that you so loved, really the ones that were heavily physical. How have you been able to still enjoy some of the things that you gave up in in a different way?
1: I have had to give up a lot, but I always love soccer or football, as I like to call it. And I haven't been able to play for many, many years now. And right after I stopped playing for a while, it was very hard to even watch the game. But fortunately, I've been able to fall back in love with watching the game. And I watch as much of the major tournaments as I can. And between those tournaments, I watch a lot of... NWSL games, which is the women's professional league in the US, and I also watch a lot of the WSL league, which is the professional women's league in the UK. I am able to fully immerse myself in the tactics of the game and, you know, where things should be passed and what I think the starting lineup should be and the substitutes I think should come into the game. So it's my way of being part of the game but watching the game And it's accessible to me. I've also been lucky to go see some in person. Canada Women's National Games and going to those games my experience was that they were very friendly to my accessibility needs. As for music I'm still unable to play you know my upright bass and my guitar but I am able to play a little bit of piano and now I play very intentionally for myself and for my love of music and I as I said before I went to school as a voice major so you can find me by myself listening to my favorite songs and just singing along and enjoying, again, that love of music. So I can't do all of the things I used to be able to do, but I have found ways to still enjoy some of those activities in a way that is accessible with my limitations.
0: I'm really glad you're able to to enjoy those in the way that you just described. But I also know, though, that you still have day-to-day challenges due to your chronic pain. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your day-to-day challenges are?
1: I'm always in pain. I have always been in pain since it all began when I was nine. And I've lived with chronic pain for so long that I don't actually remember what it's like not to be in pain. The pain is throughout my entire body, 24-7. The severity of the pain changes day to day and throughout the day. It's... Very easy for me to cause the pain to flare up from doing everyday tasks, you know, going out shopping, socializing. And it's hard to know, too, which activities is going to cause the flare because on any given day, sometimes I can do something and I'm all right. Sometimes I do it and I'm not. I currently deal with a lot of very severe upper back pain, neck and jaw pain as well. And this typically increases as my day goes on. My hands and wrists can easily become very painful if I use them for simple things like writing, using cutlery, preparing food. And I have to be very careful not to push my body too hard so that I don't cause a flare. But It's an ongoing learning process and I still do push a little too hard and I cause flares to happen, especially on the days where I'm feeling a little bit better and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get all these things on my to-do list done. And really, I probably should have maybe done half of those things. It's a learning process in that regard.
0: In fact, we were at a festival together just a few weeks ago as another example to give. And we're just walking around checking out various booths and that. And at one point you were not able to deal with it anymore. You had to sit down and, you know, another colleague of mine also noted how you were, your hands were swollen and you were really getting flushed. And I think that that again was one of those instances where anybody else could have just done that during that day, but you weren't able to. So again, really empathizing with what you're experiencing and really getting a good sense of what this really is like.
1: Yeah, that day was, was really challenging, but the thing was, I kind of knew ahead of time it was going to cause a flare up, but I really wanted to be able to go and enjoy that experience. So I kind of had to make the decision to accept the consequences. I didn't quite expect how bad things did get, but I was very fortunate to have you and your colleague that were very attentive and wanted to, to help me. So sometimes I have to weigh wanting to go and have the experience and what the consequences will be.
0: So you n- not only have, you know, the chronic pain, you also have chronic fatigue. How does that affect your life?
1: The chronic fatigue can actually be more disabling than the chronic pain, which is kind of maybe hard to understand. And we all experience exhaustion and burnout but chronic fatigue is just that. It's chronic and it's persistent. There are times where I am so exhausted that I can barely sit up and I can feel every single muscle in my body that is just struggling to hold me in a sitting position. When the fatigue is that severe, I spend my day in bed because that's all I can do. It is very easy to cause the chronic fatigue to flare up just like the chronic pain. And I can spend days to weeks stuck in bed when that does flare up. On the days where I'm out of bed, my energy levels, like my pain levels, vary from day to day and throughout the day. And I have to be very mindful of how much I do and that I'm taking enough breaks. So again, I don't cause it to flare up. Simple tasks that we all do, like taking a shower or doing some light housework can leave me so exhausted that I have to lay down for the next day and sometimes, you know, the day after that. I'm learning to pace myself and to listen to what my body is telling me, but that can be very challenging as I'm sure you can imagine, especially given how quickly it can change at any time at any given day.
0: In addition to the kind of whole body chronic pain, you also have very specific chronic migraines and headaches. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience?
1: Yes, I I have a headache 24-7. I have a headache right now while I'm speaking with you. The severity of my headaches typically increase, again, as the day goes on. I'm very, very sensitive to changes in air pressure, and especially when it's a low pressure. My headaches can turn into full-blown migraines, which means I'm laying down in a dark, quiet room and trying to rest until it passes. When the pain does become worse, I have a really hard time accomplishing anything. It's challenging just to even think clearly. If I can get to the headache as it's getting worse in time, I can take medication and sometimes that can help me to salvage my ability to get anything else done in that day or to not end up just being stuck in bed for the rest of the day.
0: The one last thing I wanted to sort of dig into in terms of the experiences that you have given your HSD is joint instability. Tell us a little about what that. Experiences like and how you need to protect your joints?
1: Joint instability is a big issue. I have to be very mindful of how I'm moving and how I'm using my joints. My joints can, as I said before, easily dislocate and more oftentimes partially dislocate because of how hypermobile they are and how unstable they are. For example, the other night, I was scratching my back and I dislocated my left shoulder and I, you know, had to put that back into place myself. It was extremely painful. It was not fun. I don't recommend it, but this is just an example of doing something kind of simple and something pops out of place. It's really important that I don't hyperextend my joints, especially when I'm putting any weight or resistance on them. So when I close a door, I use my entire forearm with some body weight to close the door instead of extending my arm and pushing it closed with my hand. When I'm out in public, I always use the accessible door so that I can press a button and it automatically opens the door for me and it's a little bit of protection for me. I also wear a custom knee brace, as I mentioned earlier. This supports my very unstable knee and it also protects it from further injury. Likewise, I wear anti-swan neck ring splints and they keep my fingers in a slightly bent position. And again, this helps to stabilize and protect the joints in my fingers from further injury. And it also helps to reduce pain.
0: I want to thank you, Paige, for sharing your personal journey involving having to curb the many physical and creative activities that you used to love to do and then to go through two waves of being diagnosed. I'm also thinking about somebody that may well be Listening to us right now who may see and experience similar things to what you're describing, what, what, what advice do you have for them?
1: It's really important to get the correct diagnosis so that you can receive the appropriate treatments. It's also important to educate yourself from reliable resources so that you can advocate for yourself and better understand the illness that's affecting you. It's also really important to have a support system, whether that's family or close friends or even a combination of both. Living with a chronic illness can be very isolating and challenging to deal with alone, so having that support system is crucial. In addition, it's important to find a community, find others who have the same or very similar health challenges as you. As I mentioned earlier, I attend virtual support groups for HSD and EDS, and being able to talk with people who have very similar challenges helps me to feel less alone. They can also be a great resource on how to better manage and cope. In the case of HSD and many other illnesses, there is no known cure, but symptoms can be managed and can improve quality of life. Being diagnosed with a chronic illness is a grieving process for both the patient and their loved ones, and especially on their parents. Grieving the life that you once had, the life you thought you had, and the loss of things you can no longer do. It's important, if you can, to work with a therapist, especially a therapist who has experience with patients living with a chronic physical illness, And it can really help you learn how to cope with the emotional distress that comes with chronic physical health illnesses and the grieving that accompanies it.
0: So as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I've known you for much of your life and I've also been with you at many of your doctor's appointments. I know that a chronic illness is hard to deal with, period, but especially on your own. What advice do you have for people who are listening who may have a loved one with a chronic illness like you have?
1: Be compassionate. Have as much empathy as you can. Try to put yourself in their shoes and imagine how you would feel. It's also again, really important to educate yourself from credible resources. And I can't stress enough how important it is to find credible resources. And this is so you are not relying on your loved one to educate you on their illness. Listen to your loved one with an open mind and an open heart. Ask them how they're feeling, how they experience the symptoms of their illness. Ask how you can help, ask what they need. Pay attention to what they tell you and what they are struggling with and what you may see them struggling with. Offer to help, offer to help them problem solve. A lot of times when you're dealing with chronic pain, for example, it can be hard sometimes to, to work through a problem and it can be beneficial to have another person to kind of talk that through with. You can also offer to go to doctor's appointments with them and to help advocate for them. It can also be beneficial to take notes for them, make sure all the questions they want asked are asked. And even just to say to the doctor, you know, this is what I've seen. I've experienced this as well can be really beneficial.
0: And as I said, I've been with you in many of those appointments and the like and also dealing with what you have spent a good amount of time on this podcast explaining so that we can empathize with you collectively. And I wanted to also just reflect on that because this is largely an invisible illness, it does require what you just described of really somebody being compassionate, but also really trying to understand what the person that they really care about is sort of going through because it's not obvious. But the other thing I would add, just in our dealing with uh, one another as well, that you can also overdo it as somebody that is trying to be supportive of somebody with the illnesses that you have asking too many questions all the time can also just be overwhelming. So you want to be sensitive to really wanting to understand what the experiences are, but at the same time, knowing when to back off and really just be a quiet supporter uh, as well as really important, I think. So, you know, just in finishing up this episode, and thank you so much for this session and going in depth on various aspects of your life and that many people probably have no idea that there's people going through the kind of things that you're going through. And just before we wrap up, you've covered a lot of material. You're giving a lot of advice. Could you also just give us a little bit of insight into where else people can go to find out more about the conditions that you just talked about?
1: Yes, the EDS Society has a website with a lot of resources and information. They also have virtual support groups, as I've mentioned before. Their website is alers danloscom Another great resource is the EDS UK website, and they have a lot of great resources there as well. Their website is alers danlosorg In addition to those websites, local Facebook groups can be a great resource for recommendations for doctors and specialists and things that are very local. And there are a lot of different Facebook groups around the world for various different conditions and illnesses. So get on there and look it up and try and get into those groups because they can be really helpful as well.
0: The first time I heard Ehlers-Danlos I had no idea how it was spelled. So you might want to just provide the spelling for the disorder that's in those websites that you provided.
1: So Ehlers-Danlos is spelled E-H-L-E-R-S. Both of those websites is then Dash. Danlos is spelled D-A-N-L-O-S and the edsukis.org the eds society is .com
0: thanks for that and also thanks for you know sharing your your details of your illnesses and so that we can really empathize with what somebody like you in fact you go through because these illnesses are largely invisible and it's hard to understand uh, what somebody else is going through so i really appreciate that you shared all that detail
1: Thank you for having me on the podcast and for having this really important conversation and trying to spread awareness about what I have, but invisible illnesses as well.
0: I'm very happy to announce that Paige will be joining me on this podcast as my new co-host and executive producer. Given Paige's radio broadcasting and production education and experience, she's the perfect fit for this podcast, given especially that I have a lot less time now compared to when I started the podcast some 15 years ago. Welcome to the podcast, page. I am really, really looking forward to working with you on it.
1: Thank you, Carl. I'm very excited to be a part of this podcast and I'm really looking forward to working with you. And check out our next episode, 115, to learn about the exciting updates that we will be bringing you to this podcast.
0: So just in wrapping up, want to again thank you, Paige, for being the guest on this podcast episode and now my new partner in doing this podcast together as well. I want to thank everyone else that's listening. I also want to encourage you to write to us at lifehabits@gmail.com for any show ideas that you'd like to share with us and topics you'd like to have us cover. And with that, talk to you next time and bye for now.